I got this new laptop. And uh, here, here's usually I've got something funny to talk about. Well, you know, I did run into our friend uh, Chip Holden outside of the old style and switch. I think I think he and I have agreed that is the best place to have barbecue in Austin. It may not be, uh, you know, 50 kajillion stars, although I, I would argue that you're not going to get better barbecue. Uh, but it's I think it's best barbecue, no line. And uh, the people there, friendly. <sighs> Love those people. Well, Cote, I'm in no <laughs> position to argue. <laughs> That's right. So uh, there you go. Uh, so, so, so I got that going for me. But what I really wanted to ask is I, uh, I accidentally, for some reason, I closed the old BusyCal the other day, you know, my calendaring application. I don't know if you're familiar with BusyCal. And uh, as I was opening it, I was thinking, I've been using BusyCal for a long time. Is this still the right desktop calendaring solution for me? And uh, so, you know, just just a, just a, a front run, as I like to do, like I every year since all of the uh, the iOS, um, I don't know, generation, are we generation X still? I forget that. But, you know, all yeah. the all the Apple generation X people that that I pay attention to. And, you know, you probably don't listen to this, but you know who you are uh, like. They're always off on and on about this fan, this Fantastical thing. And like Fantastical, I don't get it, right? Like it's got this default view of that. Um, what were those Benjamin Franklin books called before computers, day runners? It's got Almanacs. this. It's yeah. Almanacs. It's got this. <laughs> it's got this deal, that deal where it has like a list of your events, not a visual of the hours of your day. And, you know, as they say, I'm not trying to do that. That's not that's that's not what I want. So I just can't get into the Fantastical. So I asked both of you, you know, uh, companions on the never ending quest for calendaring perfection. What what desktop yeah. calendar application do y'all use? Oh, Kote. <laughs> <laughs> um so so i i am of the form of i've beat ical into submission to do what i want but uh you know like 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 a lot of things i get a workflow going and i can make it fit what i want it to do mm. so so uh so i have i still use ical or icalendar or whatever they call themselves these days and i've got uh looks like i've got a dozen calendars in there Oof. and uh you know i've got the the company the company google account i've got the personal google account i've got every member of my family has an account or has a uh well they all have accounts too now um we all have calendars i have a workflow that works yeah, it, yeah. i i don't have problems with calendars and and, and the the android calendar app uh, i'm sitting here looking at it and i think it must it uses that list view right where it just shows you oh, upcoming that. events and the times that they are and that's my default that i go to yeah. i don't use on the desktop, I use the the week view, and on the phone, I use the list. Oh, view. the week view. Well, let me let me, let me quickly <laughs> respond before we get to Brandon, just to interject. So, uh, I think originally, and this is this is all helping me figure it out. Originally, the reason I used BusyCal was for some reason iCal was not very good at adding external calendars, or it was really weird, right? To like it, add multiple Google accounts, it was very strange. And not intuitive, right? Like, whereas in BusyCal, it's like, do you want to add the calendars from a Google account? Log into your Google account. Done, right? Like, yeah. and and whereas I don't know, so I don't know if calendars fix that or not. But I always liked Calendar, yeah. and if they have fixed yeah. that, I would probably go back to it because it's fine. I, I think they did. Like, you click on the calendars thing on the side, and it shows like on my Mac, Google, 
yeah. Chef IO and delegated calendars and subscribing to stuff is pretty easy. So yeah, it's, but, but again, it's like, I'm used to the quirks. Yeah. <laughs> That's right. I'm used to my own workflow. How about yourself, Brandon? Yeah, I don't, I don't know. I don't have a really good response here. I've sort of submitted on the other side. Like, I do use the family and all my personal stuff as Google Calendar, and I actually try to just use the Google iOS app when I'm, you know, accessing it because I just find it works mm. better. I do have it hooked up to iCal as well, um, but that has the annoyance of like you get a lot of like duplicate uh, notifications, right? Like Google Calendar will tell you, then the iCloud feed will tell you, and then. Um, through a long series of uh, explanations I won't go into, it's just like, it's more difficult for me to like sync the work calendar um, just because it's sort of, they've got it locked down. So that I've just, I kind of just leave as a separate thing, which is not ideal, right? So kind of like, I kind of have to like go look at my work calendar. I do have the whole problem of two calendars, you know, one in two different spots. Um, So I sort of, I guess, submitted the other way. I basically use the native calendars of the constituents I work with. Yeah, one being you, from you know, work I, and the other being from home. You reminded me. I think I started using BusyCal because when I was at four five one, they used ex- like hosted Exchange, and like mm. that did not work in Calendar or something. Oh, I don't know. I don't know. It, it so, was... so, so the re- re- reoccurring topic: calendaring, not a solved problem. Man, we, you know, I bet that would be a number one podcast in the Overcast <laughs> technology section. How, how to calendar weekly? Yes. <laughs> weekly <laughs> calendaring I weekly. Know, I believe the the pattern for like success has potentially been identified. I think it is Slack, like because Slack has enough corporate adoption, but it's also very accessible outside, and it's very common now, at least within this group of people, right, to have some personal Slacks, some like uh, like whatever you call it, DevOps days, like community Slacks, and then have your corporate Slack, and it's. It works pretty well. Like you have it all in one place and, you know, it's kind of all native within itself. So like if somebody took on that challenge, right, of like kind of like working that idea or this idea that like we understand that you may have things outside some specific entity. We understand there's a world around you. I think it could be done. Mm. Uh, but I have no idea who, who's incented to like go figure that out. Well, I mean, don't don't you see like little calendaring app startups? They all get acquired as soon as they start to get any traction. I mean, you know, there have been acquisitions by Apple and and Microsoft and Google about little mobile, you know, little mobile calendaring apps. So they know, like, it's bread and butter, but nobody's going to disrupt it. Right. Well, I think it's the whole net. This is the whole, you know, it's like what's harder, the technology or the network effect, right? Like, that's the whole thing. And I think your point is 100% correct. It's like they get acquired before there's any potential network effect that would make them so big and powerful that, you know, it, it would be incredible. So that's, I know that's the challenge. Like somebody, and again, like if you were starting it out, like I think all the venture capitalists would just like scoff at you, be like, oh, a million people have tried. Why? I'm not going to invest in this. And, you know, it's, it's, it's too hard. Right. But the Slack kind of showed, right. I think that's why it's a good example. It's like probably they did it like messaging. It's like, we have a lot of this stuff, but no, now we have one that's, you know, got a strong network effect and, you know, it seems like it's, it's doing pretty well. So you can envision a scenario where somebody does something similar for calendar calendars, but like, I have no idea when that will happen, but it's needed any day now would be great. Mm. Any day now, please someone. Man, I, I like, I like the idea that a calendaring startup is just like two years of eating ramen and then a cash out. Like that's, that's uh that's, that's good. Well, I mean, we're only seeing, 
you know the successes. They probably mm, if you go that's on the right. store or or you know the Google store. There's you know dozens of calendar apps, and it's just you know the one that happened to make it onto you know Daring Fireball is the right. one that gets picked up. You got You got that. Uh, you got that survivor bias. Is that yeah, I get that one yeah. right? Yeah, oh. you did. You nailed it. Well, I do like the whole thing. I think is funny though. It's like like when you listen to the VC podcast or like I don't know that stuff. It's like there's like this big initiative. Like they only want to invest in like hard problems. Like they don't want anybody with like a toy app. App and you know the apps are stupid and anyone can do it. And it's like like what I would give or what I would trade for like a universal calendaring app. I mean, <laughs> be a lot. It would, I would give up a lot for that. Um, so. I don't know. I think it's a great problem. I want someone to solve it. Yeah. Well, was it that the uh, the was it Ray Ozzy who did the Chandler thing? Mm, that it was. wanted to tie. Yeah, yeah. Man, I talked. I talked to some people who had worked on that, <laughs> and they were like, "We were they they were very nice. So they didn't say it like this, but to run it through my filters, they were like, I was on a fucking boat. Like they were on a yacht, like coding and stuff. And it yeah, was, uh, I think yeah. I think there's some good uh, post mortems on that, a, if I remember. I there's a whole there's a book, book right? It. Yeah. 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 Dig that up and and read that. Who's but, the customer yeah, I mean, there? Am I right? Like that's uh, <laughs> the employees are the customer of that venture. I think uh, that sounds familiar. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, one one. I mean, I got two ideas. One is like we got that that stratigraphy people. I need to start covering the network effect of calendaring. Like fuck all this Facebook <laughs> nonsense. Like whatever. That's right. Right. Like it's just a like, billion people on a calendar. Yeah, I got awesome. it. It's like I got it. Line is a big fucking deal in China. Thanks, man. And <laughs> stickers. Uh, <laughs> they did stickers. Yeah. So and, great. And then and then here's 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 a little tip for those uh, ramen eating scheduling enterprise scheduling people out there. There is a feature in the uh, iOS Outlook client which. I am not ashamed to say I use. I've been using it since Accompli because I believe in any product that Javier Soltero is in charge of. It's just solid mm. products. Uh, and uh, it has this feature where you can send people your availability and it shows you a calendar and you can tap on the little 30-minute windows of availability and then it creates this chunk of text that says, I am available in the following time slots. That just Genius. right into there. And it's just like, holy shit. That is like all I've ever wanted to do when I'm on my phone trying to schedule something. Like it's amazing, but and I haven't found that on, on other places. I have encountered that, but um, yeah, that, that's an offline conversation. <laughs> <laughs> all right, all right, yeah. Um, Matt Ray is smuggling ramen to people, apparently. <laughs> <laughs> well, it, it's not in the context of like an email system. It's it's like. Uh, yeah, like a recruiting system that um, mm. shows, like, hey, you know, this is your availability. Here's our availability. Yeah, 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 yeah. The- yeah. I mean, there's always been things like um, Doodle and and that one that yeah. BlackBerry bought, but it's just like built right into the email they, client, which which they, is great. So BlackBerry bought it, right? You know, yeah, it's yeah, like yeah. people. As soon as you have an idea, that's a feature to fill out some application, and and it goes into you know, it makes. Outlook for Mac that much better instead of you know getting to kill Outlook for Mac. I feel I feel like I should chop up this eleven minutes and start a brand new podcast called Calendaring This Week and see <laughs> see how it plays. <laughs> maybe maybe I can go, go do a, I mean you know with my copious free time I'll go do a, a yes. supercut of all of our calendar complaining over the past <laughs> yeah, what, three yeah. years. And, and you can get like some 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 uh, some you know celebrity guest hosts like Merlin Mann and yeah. You know, mm. Get them all on there. Yeah, yeah. They'll be like, I, I am not busy. I am time constrained. Time constrained. <laughs> 
Where's my water? Uh, anyways, so uh, it's been it's been an a, a exciting week here in uh, in in Containerland. I guess I guess there was the the CNCF Music Factory uh, conference this uh, it, this this week in Copenhagen. Oh yeah, in KubeCon. Or no, it was it's the same thing, same thing that's happening there, right? In Copenhagen. Yeah, yeah. So, uh, but before we get to that. Why don't one of you tell people who this episode is brought to them by? Sure. This episode is sponsored by Datadog, a monitoring platform for cloud-scale infrastructure and applications. Built by engineers for engineers, Datadog provides visibility into more than 200 technologies, including AWS, Chef, and Docker, with built-in metric dashboards and automated alerts. With end-to-end request tracing, Datadog provides visibility into your applications and their underlying infrastructure all in one place. And... If you go to www.datadog.com slash SDT, you can sign up for a free trial. And if you make a dashboard or two, they'll send you a great Datadog t-shirt. And this week, not surprisingly, our friends at Datadog want you to know that they monitor Kubernetes. (laughs) Everyone's favorite topic. How timely. And uh, they do all kinds of stuff. So you can monitor the pods and the the host and everything. So it's a a lot of good stuff. And I'm sure we'll be talking about Kubernetes more today. So if you want to monitor it, try it. And again, go to www.datadog.com slash SDT and tell them your friends at Software Defined Talk sent you. I I wore my Datadog shirt a couple days ago, and uh, it's great. It'll last you like two or three days. Very soft, comfortable, <laughs> and as long as you don't wear a sheer white shirt, you know it's purple. It won't show through. So it's it, it's a great shirt. Fit, fits with everything. And I'll, I should take a picture of this maybe for the show notes. But speaking of shirts, I found uh, I found a, uh, a a shirt from the RIA Wars. Uh, and there was an Adobe event where the year previous to that. Let me see if it's. Uh, Oh yeah, the year previous to that, they had been saying something like, you know, HTML5 is evil or something. And uh, there was some point, I think this was unrelated, but they also put an iPhone in a blender at some point. And then, oh. And then it, the, the, the fun, uh, well, it worked out, one, obviously, Flash and, um, man, I can't even remember the name of the framework that I was paid a lot of money to know about. But the thing that was built on Flash, uh, Air. Air and Air. flex, yeah. flex, and uh, see, it worked. But anyways, parenthetically, uh, the Blender thing worked out. That what was his name, Kevin? Hmm, Kevin. Man, this is embarrassing. I can't remember it. But he was like the Adobe CTO. And uh, after the RIA Wars, the next time you saw him was the debut of the Apple Watch, and he was showing off the Apple Watch in an Apple Keynote. Uh, so he uh, he got he got himself a new wagon. Which which is just fine. Nice. Anyways, I found this T-shirt that one year they were talking about how they being Adobe how they loved the HTML5, and they had these two. They made a video with two Muppets, and one of them had a Flash shirt on, and the other one had an HTML5 shirt, and they were just like you know hugging each other, and there was a montage of them going on little trips. And uh, my wife has been cleaning out the closet, and she found this shirt. It's delightful. And you said no, no, I love that shirt. You mm. cannot get rid of it. Man, I I am I am like I'm I need to get rid so, of it because so. I'm trying to live I'm trying to live the uh, what would it be called the uh, not so magic trick of getting rid of most things that you don't love. Uh. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, but I I I have the policy of you know a shirt comes in a shirt goes out. 
Mm. Right. So, so I got Ooh. my my DevOps Days Jakarta shirt, and one had to go out. Oh wow. yeah, yeah. You know, wow, I, I, you know, this episode is also uh, well, it's not really brought to you, but speaking of of shirts, so they got uh, DevOps Days in Minneapolis coming up. Now, you might be yep. surprised to hear this, but it's in Minneapolis. Uh, and it's uh, July 12th and 13th. Now, I have uh, I go to lots of DevOps days. Uh, they're great, as you might have heard in the previous episode. Uh, and this one, you know, is in Minneapolis, July 12th to 13th. And if you use the code SDT2018, you can get uh, 20% off. And I haven't looked at the – I don't even know if the program's up yet. It probably is. But uh, I'm sure it'll be fantastic and uh, wonderful. So you should go check it. You'll get the show notes at softwaredefinedtalk.com slash 133. You can get one of those T-shirts, which unfortunately, uh, or maybe fortunately, doesn't have a reference to RIA stuff, uh, but it is comfortable. And uh, then you can also get a discount to go to DevOps Days Minneapolis, in Minneapolis. Uh, But yeah, I'll take a picture of this shirt because, man, it is. You know, I got an extra large, and it's a little too extra. It It should be less extra. But man, these guys, look at this. HTML and Flash, man, they love each other. Look at those guys. Flash, Flash is like, you know what? I love HTML as long as it's fucking running in my client. So they're, uh, they're, they're good. Yeah. Uh, All right. Well, speaking of Kubernetes. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, there was the, uh, the KubeCon going on in Copenhagen, which I can only assume is where all chewing tobacco comes from. But but there was there was a tremendous amount of news, and let me just like let me just be upfront. I haven't read a lot of this stuff. I've skimmed some of it. So here's here, here's my uh, yeah. There is a lot. Like I think every should, vendor... should we save it for two episodes? Oh, a two parter. <laughs> oh, that, a cliffhanger. That would be that would be crazy. <laughs> a two parter. But something crazy might happen next week, Matt Ray. Wait, wait, what? <laughs> but so here, let, let's just start off with, with the one that, that I think the, uh, the, the little software-defined talk community has been wondering about. What is this G-Visor thing? Is this, like, <laughs> is this like a hat on a hat situation? What's going on uh, with well, that? I mean, it, it's like those, those, those uh, golf visors that, mm, uh, that have know, hair on top. Green, clear, see-through. Uh, but you can get really sunburned with those things. Uh, um, I thought you were going to say anyway. the ones that have fake hair on top for people who are hairless. <laughs> no, but I, so all joking aside. Uh, yeah. So Google open sourced uh, their, their container hypervisor. I mean, I, I'm probably, you know, using the wrong terminology, but that's kind of what it is. There's, um, you know, you've got your container runtimes, you know, your uh, your Docker engines that run your Docker containers on top of a Linux machine. And they don't have a ton of, I mean, you know, they're, they, they try to isolate the systems, but they're still kind of managing them directly on your running Linux kernel. Mm. And so what GVisor, my understanding of GVisor and, you know, listeners are, you know, Slack members, how wrong I am. Um, but it, it it wants to kind of uh, intermediate some of those calls and act as a container hypervisor, essentially. Like it's not it's not true virtualization, but it, uh, it 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 cuts off a lot of the direct system calls that your containers possibly could have been making to the Docker engine and sanitizes them. You know, I see. Just, uh, so what you get is you get you. Know, ostensibly 
Um, you're going to have much better performance than running on a hypervisor. So that's kind of the, the Hyper-V method or uh, what's the one from VMware um, oh, where, know you know, that. you're still using virtualization to wrap your containers yeah. um, to, to give you the most isolation. But it's so it's it's better performance than that and more secure than, you know, the Docker engine, you know, in theory. Uh, so the most similar things to it would be um, Intel had a, a project called Clear Containers uh, that ran on top of virtualization. And that got merged into another project that I thought got picked up by CNCF called Kata Containers. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'll need to go look that up. But uh, yeah, I think we talked about that briefly. So I think they're, they're similar. Um, yeah, Kata Containers.io, open source. Yeah. So mm-hmm. I, you know they're they're similar projects. I'm sure there are uh, pros and cons of each, and you know one's probably slightly more secure than the other, and one's probably faster than the other. But I think that's the space they're operating in. So so let yeah, me I, let me oh go ahead go ahead. I was gonna say no. I definitely recommend you know in this case the uh, the README on the the GitHub is actually very well done on this one. You can tell like clearly a developer the guy that wrote this because he actually calls out he compares uh, a bunch of different options for um securing and he even kind of like tells you like where it's good where it's bad and you know they, the way that he describes it is you know as a, a merged guest kernel so really kind of like you know they kind of basically say like hey putting a vm in between is you know you can have strong isolation but you have to go through like kind of this virtualized environment which is a problem or you can just harden the kernel directly but yeah. You know, even if you do that, there's still problems. There's still ways to get around it. So, so if you will, uh, Gvisor's like you know that that peanut butter in the middle of that, right? It's like it's not virtualized, but it sits on top of the kernel. And then you know they, um, in this case, they're very proud that they wrote it in Go, and they tell you all about the things that Go is really good <laughs> about: strong types and built-in bounce checking. Yeah. And no, yeah. initialized. So there's actually like a whole Go advertisement, like right in the middle of it. Um, user after free, no stack overflow. I mean, it just goes on and on. It's, it's a good Go commercial, but if you just put all that in there. So I guess that part makes sense. I just, you know, to me, it was just like, you know, until I read this, I was like, well, I don't know. I felt like either the virtualization pros or the hardened kernel approach, like seemed fine, right? Seemed like they would work. But so I guess Google is saying that, you know, there's still other vulnerabilities that they feel like this approach can help you with. But I don't know. I mean, and part of me says like, well, probably not. But the other part of me is like, well, they probably did it for a reason, right? And they obviously are very security conscious. So, yeah, so maybe yeah. there's something I don't – like there's attacks you don't know about. Therefore, if you don't know about those attacks, it doesn't seem as relevant. But it's out there. So so yeah, then yeah. let me – let me I mean uh, let me try to summarize as, as I like to do. So so you got, you got the dirt, right? And above the dirt, <laughs> you have a data center. And then you got your yeah. power and your cooling. And you might, you might paint the tubes Google colors depending on where you are. And then you got like a, a rack, and in the rack there's a server, and in the All server right. you've you've got like a bunch of VMs, right? I mean, you've always got VMs unless you're these cult of bare metal people, and you've got these VMs, yeah. <clears throat> and then inside the VMs you have containers. And then you've got mm-hmm. like, you know, reams full of people who are like C groups and all that bullshit. And so you got the containers. Now, right above the, now normally, then you would have an application in the container and you're sort of like done, right? Like, and then, you know, then you got your, your, your Flash Friend Muppet and your, your HTML5 Muppet and their, yeah, your interface and your bulkheads and microservices and all your nonsense. But GVisor is like, whoa. 
if you allow the application to be right in the container, people are going to fuck it up. So what we're going to do is we're going to stick this G-Visor thing between the container and the application, which will allow us to turn on and turn off stuff that you can do mm, in, in Linux. It's lower. No, no, it's, yeah, so it's one, one step underneath, lower. It's between, underneath the, the, it's between the container and the operating and then system. The, right, right, right. right, the, right. The yeah, yeah. Yeah. Yep, I, mean, exactly. I mean, I guess I had the positioning wrong, but it's basically like, so your software runs on Linux or Windows or whatever. It runs on an operating system. And with GVisor, you can turn off certain things in the operating system. So you could be like, no, you can't do whatever, right? Like, normally, if I just give you a container with an operating system, you can do whatever you want in the operating system if it's installed in there. But in this case, you have the GVisor thing, which just, like, blocks off doing whatever it is you may want. Like, you can't access a file system or access a network or whatever it might be. Right, right. Which, which... I assume Docker engine was supposed to be blocking you from doing too. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think this is where like it's really nuanced. It's like because you can even like like in GVisor, right? It, I mean, because sometimes you're going to have to like legitimately access the file system. So, so if you think about that, like core kernel system calls, right? It's like okay, you know, like between the container and you know, it's going to call a kernel, right? And it needs to be able to do certain things. So, I think what they're saying is they've taken extra precaution inside those calls to let you do what you need to do, but to look at, to make sure you don't step out of that. And their belief is that they've done it a little bit better because there's obviously other ways you could like what I just, we just talked about, like you could have a VM sitting in there virtual, you know, and that could be doing it or you could just have a hardened kernel. So it's just like, what, what, when you put all these three on a matrix, like what problem is, um, you know, being solved by this. Right. I think that's the hard thing. So like, you know, and, and the reason I guess I wouldn't be completely dismissive of it is like, I feel like Google has probably found some attacks, right, that they're not talking mm. about that GVisor right. prevents that either this hardened kernel or this virtualization approach doesn't solve. And that's the part, like, if, you know, you really want to market it, you would go out and say, well, listen, everyone's vulnerable to this, and this is why we're doing right, it. Right, right. Well, Heartbleed. They, <laughs> yeah, and they're yeah. mad, right? So. Well, but I think there's there's kind of an evolving an evol- evolution to this where Google used to be you know, so far out front that, you know, they would hand things down on high and people would be like, oh, you know, Google, we, we, we should implement that. And then, you know, people, and then, you know, Google slowly merged to, you know, oh, well, we'll put out a reference implementation so you don't have to write it from scratch. And I feel with Kubernetes, they're starting to be, you know, they put this out, everyone implemented it. Google's like, you know, yes, you're all doing what what we want you to do. But it almost feels like the community starting to outpace Google now where, you know, you know, they're like, Oh, here's this open source G visor. And I've seen people picking at it saying like, well, you know, we've already got tools like this. You know, we wrote these things. Why, why should we use your tool instead of ours? You know, you should have open sourced this two years ago. Mm. Now, yeah. So in this, you instance, know, in this instance, you're saying there's already things like this out there. <laughs> yeah. I, I, I think, I think there's, yeah, you know, no, there definitely is. I think even on this page, they acknowledge, I mean, there's other approaches, right? So it's right. like maybe, and they're just saying, and I think, you know, there is like to be maybe more, you know, kind of like, uh, not pessimistic, but like another motivation clearly is, and this is also in the readme is like, you know, cause there's a whole go advertisement, but they also go on to say like, as they're describing what they did in, in the question of like, why does GVisor exist? They say like, in other words, GVisor implements Linux 
by way of Linux. And it's just like, you know, there is like a recursive software developer. We wanted to rewrite the Go, the Unix kernel or Linux kernel in Go, and we did it, and we think it's really good, and it's just probably like a really interesting technical project. So, you know, part of me is just like, well, maybe they just did it because they're just smart people and they just did it, and it's not necessarily all that useful. Now, now, now hold, on, hold on. What language was this written in? <laughs> exactly. 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 That's right. I don't uh, know, but maybe a- it's good. Like, I haven't written any Go. I have no idea. Strongly typed. Well, That's what they I- said. <sighs> Yeah, and and the the comments I've seen from other folks is like you should have written in Rust. Oh, that's <laughs> oh. um, the new I, thing. It's the I, new new well, thing. Everybody I'm, likes Rust. I'm sure there's no like the, about it. I'm sure there's a very uh, very long com- comment over on Hacker News about like I I would have written this in Rust and here are the reasons why. Just like yes, a, a, a well actually like a, why, why did I, they I not can't find this? the link yet. Yeah, <laughs> I can't find the link, but I saw the conversation on Twitter, and you know it's like. Rust is probably a better low-level systems language, mm. and Go is better for CLI tooling. You know what? You know what I like. You know what I like from a uh, non-nerd perspective is like the undergirding layers of something that should provide the stability and the long-term, uh, you know, sort of like upkeep of the layers above it. I really like to call it Rust. That really puts a lot of confidence <laughs> into uh, in, into me. But, so, so maybe maybe the the strategic thing here is, and this once again is exposing my ignorance about all this container stuff, is uh, like there was not a free and open source option out there, or one that was sort of unencumbered from somehow having to pay for something, right? Like there wasn't one from Google, right? Right. right. So okay, so there's not one. I would say there's not one that it, that specifically is doing it this way. I yeah, mean, there's a bunch right. of other ways. Yeah, and and, I, and yeah. I'm not saying this way is better. It's just a different way. So 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 then so then to uh, to beat this dead horse into uh, glue. So one, I got I have I have five points I've written down. Besides, <laughs> besides you know trying to fit in this joke of like how do you know if someone's a Go programmer and you can fit the own your own punchline there. Maybe that joke is like they have a Go sticker on their laptop from Ashley, but you know it's a variation there. Uh, does she makes great stickers? I think she uses Sticker Mule. Isn't that what we used, uh, Brandon? Yeah, yeah. yeah. man, they yeah, make yeah, good stuff. Said, hey, we'll just do a quick sticker promo. Send us an email. Yeah. Give us your name and address. Stickers, <laughs> stickers at software defined box. That went out earlier today. So. Brandon loves an excuse to go to the post office. So just stickers at software defined talk dot com. Anyways, so so one. Oh, we've already covered one. Uh, as always, uh, we've discovered it doesn't already do that. So that's too bad. Seem seem like seem like that. Now, number two, also what this presupposes is that you have a programming model. Not only this, but you have a programming model that cares about the operating system, right? Like, so the way that you're coding whatever application application code in the you have in there, and there's a little footnote uh, that's in addition to this is somehow you're interested in the operating system as a developer. Otherwise, you would be writing old school Java, where you're like, I don't know, it's a file object i don't actually know what operating system is under here but you're in it you're in a programming model where the os is not hidden or isolated from you because you would need these controls because as always uh this is i'm jumping ahead number four developers do dumb shit right so you need a you need a way of protecting from developers doing goofy things now for another advantage that this would have is like and this is what i probably the bias of what pivotal does and the types of customers we work with is I often hear of, of enterprises moving existing workloads to containers. Now, you would also have an advantage if you lock down the container more because they wouldn't have to spend as much time 
retrofitting those applications to not do dumb shit, right? Instead, you could use like whatever layer you have here to be like, if this application wants to do this dumb thing, sorry, it can't. And then we don't have to go recode it. It might break the application, but we can control the risk of not catching this thing because we know it will not happen. And then yeah, uh, we want we want better sandboxes, but that's we don't right. want to pay a virtualization. And tax. and then and then finally the fifth one, which is the obvious one, is like even if you do everything the best way, you might make a mistake or there could be a vulnerability. So this is another layer of if someone installs malware in your container, you can have a better chance of it not fucking up your day, right? Like so you have okay. more controls over being able to do this stuff and man, at this point you probably have it's like to use another old joke, you got controls all the way down like in your routers and your networking and you just like it's it's just you know you're better trying to attack an exchange server in a basement than like some sort of cloud native application yeah yes yeah it's a good summary it's a good summary well that i I mean i mean that that all makes perfect sense it's not it's not uh ridiculous at all of course you're gonna do that Mm. i mean i think i think as always the my first item the uh the bummer is that like uh I guess this is the reason why getting up and started with Kubernetes is only like a hundred eighty page book is because it, it doesn't it doesn't do all this stuff which is fine it's brand new it's got to be filled out no problem at all no coach that leads to the other thing that I I thought that was relevant and that we should talk about because there's you know a lot of talk I think two important things I know Matt Ray wants to talk about it like I feel like I heard a, I read a lot of articles talking about operator out of Kubernetes as sort of like the answer to simplify how to deploy an application inside it. And I was mm. hoping that Ray could explain it because as I read through everything, there were basically two two approaches that uh, I, I took away from it. There was the Red Hat, really the CoreOS approach where you could build your own operator. And the operator, as I understand it, is basically, here's how Kubernetes should run this for me. And that's one approach. And then you guys, right, Matt, Chef, have a slightly different approach where I just use your operator and like I don't know, Chef Magic, it all just works. Is that like, uh, do I have that right? And, and, uh, and is this operator hey, thing important? First, like, first of all, important? first of all, you should email Nathan and be like, we need to print up a limited run of T-shirts that just say Chef Magic with maybe a shooting star. Done, Nathan. Hey, send no, me no, more no spoilers for uh, ChefCon. That's right. We a lot of hugging. No, no. Uh, so, so Habitat is is the project that kind of fits into this, and it's still. What what you get with so what taking a step back what you get with the Kubernetes operator is a standardized approach for interacting with Kubernetes. So if you have an operator for your application, you can say like I'm going to need uh, my operator provides these resources and it's going to you know be managed by Kubernetes and always up and running. And then as you deploy applications, they can hook into that operator to get the things they need. And what you end up having to do is writing operators for the various services that you're doing, like a Prometheus or you know, data services or that kind of stuff. All right, hold on, just pause right there. That's is is did the operator come from CoreOS or was it their contribution or did it come somewhere else? I'm not sure. I think it's something that got hashed out through RFCs okay. and I I, I I mean, I'm I'm not close enough to the Kubernetes okay. stuff. Because it seemed to be that seemed to be their announcement was like Yes, they they were going to. I don't know. I hate to say this. I just hate this analogy. The quote app store, right? Like the idea that yeah. they would be producing operators for like popular applications 
and and that is because the overwhelming theme with all of Kubernetes is like too hard, too complicated. So everyone's always have, wants an answer, right? So it's like right, right. this seemed to be that answer. Like one day there'd be all these operators, and we don't really need to know about all these pods and all this stuff. We'll just like put this operator out there. Um, so I don't I don't know yeah. is that correct what I just said? Uh, well, yeah. I mean, one of the things I I kind of noticed. I mean, you know, the the CoreOS guys obviously were a fair amount of Kubernetes engineering. But anytime right. there was like a Kubernetes announcement, there was always a CoreOS blog post that went with it. So I'm sure they you know, muddy the waters, or at least they wanted to put their spin on what the latest news was. So what you end up with is, is operators that define the interface that you work with those systems. And then you have package managers like Helm that actually manage how applications are deployed. And and I, I guess including as operators. Okay. Um, and then below that level is still where Habitat lives. Habitat is just, hey, we're going to take your application, package it up, make a, you know, export a Docker container out of it. And because your application needs to talk to other parts of your application, you know, maybe it's multi-tier, um, Helm could deploy the Habitat application. And then there's a Habitat operator that says, oh, you know, because you're managed by Habitat, you're going to want these things. And here they are already up and running. So what you get with Habitat's uh, operator pattern is you don't have to write your own operators. Right. If you have some system that you want to Kubernetesize. Right. Um, and then no, when I was re reading the problem. Chef uh, or the Habitat uh, blog, whatever, Habitat, I don't know who hosts this. Yeah, Habitat.sh uh, blog. So it's... So what it is is that it's it's basically saying if I put Habitat in my build process, right? The out that's the I guess that's the choice, right? I have to be building with Habitat, and then I just essentially get this operator, right? Or it looks like an operator. Yeah, yeah. I mean, okay. you can just you you can say, well, you know, I'll let Habitat build my uh, my packages from source, um, or you know, package off the shelf stuff, and then it spits out immutable artifacts that you push into Docker, or, you know, whatever your format of choice is. Um, you know, Cloud Foundry, and uh, and then if you're on Kubernetes, you can do a Helm export, and you can do okay. Uh, uh, right. So yeah, I mean it's 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 so like it's, a, yeah. it's 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 like a ETL for uh, deploying these applications, <laughs> right? Like uh, you, you load your shit in one end, and you transform it to whatever yeah. your deployment thing is going to be, and then boom. I guess you have to load it in, so maybe it's just an yeah. ET. Well, I think it's like an important though. It makes a lot more sense now you explain it like, because it's kind of a subtle difference. It's like if you want to take the time to build your own operator from scratch, like okay, you could do that, and I think that seems yeah. to be like what it's doing. But then it's like for the not normal person, but for someone that maybe isn't gonna like do all well, of that, some... take on that, right? If I just put Habitat in my build process, it's like. I get it, right? Like I'm like, yeah. okay, it looks like an yeah. operator. I don't have to like go learn. It's just another level of abstraction. I don't need to go learn all this. I'm just gonna like trust that Habitat does the right thing for me here. And, and yeah, yeah. Because probably I don't. I mean, I would assume it's like all this stuff. Like how complicated it is. Like it feels complicated to build an operator. I mean, it feels like guess <laughs> everything complicated. Everything feels complicated. But that felt like another level of like, wow. I bet you learning this packaging is not easy. Yeah, and, and that's what like out of this week's announcements, you know, there are a couple related to packaging. You know, like Red Hat released a a, a way to easily package applications for Kubernetes. I think you know we got a link to that. We've got you know lots of CI/CD things that were released because it's still you have to adopt 
if you go into Kubernetes, you're adopting a whole new framework of everything. You know, you can't yeah. just say like, oh, this three-tier app that we had running in a data center, you know, two commands, and now it's running on Kubernetes. Yeah. Well, definitely, that seems to be like the overwhelming theme. You know, one, every, all the major players have settled on Kubernetes, and everyone has agreed simultaneously that it's too hard. And now we have like <laughs> a thousand flowers blooming around making it easier. Yeah. And then I looked at the yeah. latest updated uh, CNCF slide, and it was like, oh, my God, like... I was like, wow, it's more complicated. And then they kicked like a whole nother section to like another slide. I was like, oh my God, serverless is over here. And it's like even more. So, I mean, it is, I mean, I guess it makes sense. It'll all work itself out, but like it, there is a lot. I mean, there is a lot of stuff that, yeah. you know, that quote, making it simpler that you have to know to even know if it can help you make it simpler. Well, mm-hmm. and I mean, well, it, but, you it, know, it, you know, I'm, I'm sure there's some people in the audience who are thinking, you know what I would like to do as a developer is, first of all, I want some YAML. So I got to have that. Right. I'm sure all of this has YAML involved. I want some rest. I would like to I'd like to write JSON. my applications and, and I'll just use this YAML file and say, here's here's the code that I have. And here's like the middleware that I depend on. And maybe here's some configuration, and then someone else should just figure that out for me. Then you know, yeah, that, that might be a cool solution. You could call well, it like, I mean, uh, you could. I mean, it's almost like something else is doing a service for you <laughs> instead of you doing it on your own. And like, I think maybe like, what would you call it? Maybe like a stack or a table. <laughs> what? Let me I, look I, at my rogers here and see what's. Oh, like maybe okay. like maybe like a plate uh, form. It's like in the form. How, of, I don't about, know. How about a how about a build pack? Oh, nah, yeah, you know that. <laughs> and there might be like maybe like let's say eight to fifteen general principles that you follow, so your application fits in doing things that way. I don't know. I don't know. This is probably crazy too talk, crazy, crazy of an talk. idea. This is I some fucking AI that, like, shit. Clear. I think you're getting on to like the like the two like streams. So there was like kind of like all this I don't know below the fold infrastructure craziness, and then there was all the kind of uh, announcements around serverless cloud functions and i think that's kind of like what everyone's i don't know pointing to is like yeah okay let's just just too complicated there's a belief that like people do want to move to like some type of standardized cloud functions world where like yeah all this stuff is just taken care of like it's just like you don't I just want to drop a jar on a service and it runs it <laughs> <laughs> i think that's like what I mean, it does. It is like building back to that, right? Because that seems to be the other thing yeah. is, just like, if you don't want to be down here in this shit, if you just want to just, just like go look at the serverless slide and then pick one of those frameworks. What, what, was, and then what eventually... was that company called? Uh, Zero Turnaround with J Rebel or something like that was. That was uh, as 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 old as old Hunter Thompson says in uh, the, the first third of Fear and Loathing in Las Vegas. That's that's where the uh, the water crested. That was the high water mark right there. <laughs> We could just we could just drag a jar to like some icon in Eclipse without having to restart yeah, your uh, your web server and hey presto everything worked fine. Good days, good days. Yep. Yeah. Mm. So everything everything old is is new again. Well, oh, the hey, now we're a because cliche. Of events, I don't know if you read that, Matt. Like or or cliche, like the cloud events thing was did feel like oh this is just ESB right? This is just back to just having like some type of enterprise service bus defined and like figuring out what the cloud event format would be it's like oh yeah like i think i don't know i like kind of this is one of the things like i just assumed it was already like that but obviously not well there's a lot of assumptions around kubernetes (laughs) (laughs) mostly that it's hard i think that's where we can mostly assume we could could rename this podcast like old men yell at cloud native i think that's, (laughs) that's that's our problem there get get off get off my ear and, and oh hey we should be keeping track of these jokes 
so I can speaking, delete them. Uh, so, so changing the subject completely mm-hmm. to things that old men do not understand. Mm. Uh, how's that snap earnings call go? That's fantastic. <laughs> that if you know if if you're gonna read anything in the show notes this week, you should read the uh, analysis of uh, Snap. Who wrote it? I don't even know which company uh, wrote it. It's, Michael uh, Hildzik from the LA Times. Yeah, the LA Times. It is quite the takedown of uh, Snap not doing well. And uh, I mean, they this he I can tell there must have been like some kind of bad media press event uh, is, is uh, one of them was what Spiegel's performance on the conference called underscored the folly of giving an untested entrepreneur unassailable control over a company sounding like a bargain basement knockoff of Mark Zuckerberg. Like these are just two we just randomly pick. I mean, wow. the entire article is just a takedown of, uh, you know, basically saying that. The company doesn't know what they're doing. They're going to fail, and you know he seems like he has some real, uh, some real. I don't know. He's got an axe to grind. Axe to grind. So. Oh man, I mean, because this this article, like every paragraph, is full of zingers. Like, um, yeah, he described the mission as helping to empower people to express themselves, live in the moment, learn about the world, and have fun together. Whoa! This is a highfalutin way of saying that Snap distributes a smartphone app. But I think if you go back, I don't know when they went public, but I know we did talk about it. Like I remember mentioning the video they made for the IPL, and it is – I hope it's still out there because it is classic where they did the whole like – they all came in and they like, like walked around in a circle, and it was like this yoga thing. They had some name for it. It was like – and it was, you're just like this. This is a, I mean, you're, you, it's clear that like it was a story being marketed versus like you know what I mean. You don't you don't lead with that or you don't. I would say you put that in the investor deck or that unless it's unless you're really trying to create a narrative just to convince people that like you've got something there versus just like solid financials of like yeah we're in a great we have this great business we're going to have this amount of users as Gotay likes to say it's going to be a great advertising business and it's going to make a ton of money and it was clear that. You know, the the argument or the narrative didn't really build itself around that. It built itself around this personality. And now I don't know if we should like – because, of course, the halo effect, right, works both ways. It's like – I mean I'm sure Evan Spiegel is like – you know, I mean I'm sure he's like at least intelligent. He's not a total idiot, but, you know, he, he's definitely being taken to task now. So it's like you got all that money, but now you're going to have to deal with a, a, the wrath of Wall Street. Well, he owns 88% of the shares, so maybe not. Well, it's voting. I guess it's, that's the whole thing, too. I guess they've done that weird Google trick and Facebook trick of, like, somehow they don't own all those shares, but they own all those voting rights. So, yeah, yeah this yeah. just seems crazy. I mean, this is like, you know, handing your kid, like, you know, 15 pounds of candy and being like, okay, you know, do something it's good. Trust you. Like, I mean, <laughs> I think even like, but this is the whole thing when they talk about his age. I'm like, I'm not sure many human beings are capable of just having like, you know, that much control over something and, you know, not fucking it up. I mean, it's pretty, it's pretty so, difficult. So, so as, as often when I don't know anything about the topic at hand, I like to abstract it to a higher level. And, uh, so before we get to yeah, our, are we starting with dirt again, are we starting at like ground level? That's right. I I'll, always, always <laughs> with dirt. We got, we got, we got the magma <laughs> anyhow, <laughs> and then some plates. Uh, like, so how, how, how do you two calibrate, between uh old person who thinks everything is shit versus like a healthy bs meter right and and so we'll use the example at hand right like so you know snapchat goes public right and and like and of course this is the reverse halo effect or what i mean i don't even know their numbers but let's whatever let's just presuppose right and you can contrast it with facebook which makes a shit ton of money right so that worked out right uh 
but something like Snapchat goes public, and I don't know what their numbers are, but I assume uh, it's like this because they weren't good or something. Uh, yeah. And they don't make a profit. And like, you know, I think our collective intuition would be like, that's that's not a thing, right? Like, that's no. Right. But but then yeah. like but then you would go read like all these people, including, you know, the guy who wants to tell you about how big line is in you know, Jakarta or Taiwan or whatever, which is fine. He's going to be like, dude, grab is a big fucking deal. And it was nice. It's a good service to use uh, while you're there. Uh, but like, you know, I don't know. I mean, it seems like it's like I discount my initial uh, intuition because like, you know, I don't know that how. The, the how high my pants are supposed to be anymore but it seems like totally fucking stupid like am i am i wrong well i, I think mean, you have to like go back to like i think a better analogy would be like um looking at music mm. movies or any type of popular media it's like nobody like you know you hear a song right and, and often you hear a song the first time and you know you don't like it or whatever like you make some gut feel but there's no uh in like you know very seasoned uh record producers even the guys that like do the hit machine and they have all the math and they know like what kind of like you know chord structure people like and all that it's like nobody can really has the formula down and be like if you do this right it's going to be a huge hit and then of course there's always these counter examples of like somebody in a garage literally just recorded a song in 20 minutes and becomes this huge hit so that's like i think the better analogy is like you know all right, it's all just right. a, a direction right it's like okay like when facebook came out we were maybe skeptical maybe we weren't but it's sort of like someone released a new song and it became a hit song so now flash forward it's like snaps a little bit different it does have Early on, it has kind of the same characteristics around, hey, it's getting a lot of adoption with a younger crowd, which is similar to Facebook, slightly different. So you could do some pattern matching, right? Like you could with a song. It's like, you know, this Katy Perry song sounds a lot like, you know, this uh, Tyler or Taylor, Taylor Swift song. And, you know, there's some guess that maybe it'll be a hit. But then sometimes it just doesn't happen. Right, right. So, so right? maybe maybe, maybe to, so use, think, to use one of my favorite look tools. At that prism. Yeah, maybe it's one of my favorite tools for this thing. It's it's a it's a question of uh, portfolio management in the sense of managing your investments. And so, you know, you could analogize this to a bunch of open source companies, right? Like one could look at uh, pure open source companies, or or open. You know, you could look at an open source startup and be like, they don't make any money, right? Like they have nothing to sell, they don't make money. Um, so so what's the deal, right? Uh, <laughs> and but but from a portfolio perspective, uh, you could say like, all right, uh, I got a bunch of money I got to do something with, right? Because if it just, I can either put it in, you know, whatever. I got opportunity cost of money, uh, and I don't like Vanguard returns, so I got to do something with this. And so you're like, all right, I'm going to invest in these new types of companies, and I've got. 10 of these companies and snap is one of them and i don't really understand what's going on with them but i'm going to assign a percentage that they pay off big and so it's sort of like i'm trying to cover all the bets from a portfolio perspective yeah and then quarter by quarter i'm going to monitor are these people fucking insane right yeah and and basically so then that and and then that is what the i was going to say game but i don't mean to belittle it at all that is that is what the job of management of a recently IPO'd bullshit company becomes is to demonstrate that you're not fucking insane, right? And so right. unlike in comparison, I didn't go read the, the transcript, but you got Elon Musk who's like, yeah, if you don't like us, sell your stock, which right. said no CEO ever, right? <laughs> uh, so 
Like, but I think people probably have more confidence in Elon Musk or however you say it than than uh, than Snap. Or you could also have. I think maybe Tim Cook is a little more suave, but he probably would. His response would be like, uh, "Well, we, I mean, to summarize, we believe that we're fucking Apple." So, mm. end of, well, end of, like, it's like it's just record. sort of like, yeah. I mean, we have established a track record, and you may think that we're doing something crazy, but we're we're not. Like, and so you've got that gradient of people. And so basically, even though the business models of, of these companies might look crazy, once you pull it back to a portfolio perspective, all you're looking to do as an investor is figure out when to pull out in, in a way that you, uh, you minimize your losses. So right. if, they're, if they're nutty balls, who cares? Like, it doesn't matter. But I, I think you also want to look at just like two other things, like expectations and narratives, right? So to be fair to them, right, is is they made two hundred thirty-one million dollars, right? The pro, so I mean, that's no, I mean, hey, that's a pretty impressive feat for anyone to start a company and they made it made that much. So, but the problem, right, was the expectations are now set that they're going to continue to grow their user base and eventually grow to the size of Facebook or Google, right? So it's clear at this moment. That the chances of that seem very very right, low, right, right. low, right? So if if Evan Spiegel had like two whatever five years ago, whenever if he had just sold this company to Facebook, you know, and taken three billion dollars, he'd be worth probably whatever a billion dollars. He'd be some executive sitting there, and he would quietly be hailed a hero, right? They would just kind of right. sit in there, they'd sit inside Facebook's earnings and just be like, yeah, they're working on user adoption, and it would just be, you know, it would be viewed totally different, right? Much like Instagram, right? Sits in there, and I think Instagram, if any property inside Facebook is loved, I think that's the one. And, you know, again, those guys took a billion dollars. So it's like, do you want to be king or do you want to be rich? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right? I, I, bet that, I bet that's that's bandied about in those super clean Sandhill conference rooms. Like, yeah. like oh, and I man. think what happened was like, you know, and I, I don't, I don't know if any of us would probably not do it because it's like mm. they probably just told him like, listen, don't sell. We can, you know, take this thing public. And now I think Evan probably was a true believer. I think the investment bankers and maybe some of the investors were like, hey, the market is just hot, right? People want to buy into this narrative. Young founder, social media. It's just like any other product. We have a thing that people want to buy and that's great. But now – it's obviously turned on him. And I think Elon Musk is a good example of he has continues to keep the narrative going. Although like when you, when you listen to financial people talk about like the amount of debt that, you know, mm. uh, Tesla is taking on, they, you know, it's sort of kind of setting up to be one of like, kind of like a, a short opportunity for the investors, right? Like yeah. they believe that narrative is going to run out because the model three, right. Is, is not happening. So as long as he keeps the narrative going, then you yeah know, yeah you, you know you know course, use, using my uh, my mm -hmm. shallow uh, you know stuff I heard when I was picking up my kids stuff right like I think so so building on that like one I think there was an interesting commentary on on the NPR of course it wasn't on like KVET or anything uh, of uh, you know <laughs> so, someone was commenting on on the uh, the uh, the Tesla earnings call and they were like. And and as I go through this, I think it's analogous to like an open source startup talking about their business model. They were like, well, uh, you know, Tesla is a car company and what car companies do is manufacture and sell cars. So uh, if if they don't have good production levels and they're not selling all the cars that there's demand for, they're not a good car company. And And, you know, to some extent, like there is a cutoff point where it's like between startup and like profit reaping. And, and maybe that's that's a little bit where the, the waters get strange, right? Where it's just sort of like, no, 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 
we need to be like Amazon and have 20 years to be profitable or whatever the number is. So mm -hmm. like, and, and I guess it would be confusing, especially if you're an automotive person and, and you're covering Tesla and then also to an operating, I mean, an operating an, an open source company, like there's this, there's this leap of faith that you have to take of like, Oh, there's a business model there somewhere, right? Like they're going to sell right, support. Yeah. Sounds good. Yeah. Or, or, you know, and then, and then I guess that, you know, I'm trying to avoid the whole like tulip mania analogy because that certainly exists, but I feel like there's a little bit more responsibility in someone that can hire someone when they write up a report to put it in FrameMaker and output a PDF, <laughs> uh, or, or whatever in design, I guess is what they use now. Uh, but like, I guess that maybe the core of the, the quandary that I have is like, uh, like, so if I use the Ben Thompson analysis, right, it's like, well, Snap is going to try to become the new TV for the kids, right? Maybe not in Asia because they're going to use Line or whatever. Uh, but like Snap is going to be where all the kids go. And therefore, in 50 years, all the 80-year-olds go, if I did that math right, to watch TV. And so basically, just like uh, Google and Facebook have taken most of the profits out of advertising. I don't know if that's true, but, you know, a substantial amount of profits Snap is going to go in and snatch up or snap up all of the uh, the profits from TV. So hey presto, there you go. And and I guess I guess the yeah. the quandary I always have is like, is that believable? Right? Like, is that would that even happen? And and I guess you can't really answer that uh, because who knows? Like like it's right. it's difficult to figure that out. Yeah, and I think, and this is why I think, you know, back to the whole narrative and like when something comes due, it's like, listen, Snap is at a point where it's clear they're not growing and that TV idea seems to be faltering, right? Whereas like, look at Tesla, they're still kind of before that, but like they're getting to the end of like, I think the Model 3 was supposed to be like kind of out by now and like a lot of people or a significant, several, I think 100,000, like actually put a deposit down. So like, there's this belief, like, you know, at some point the car has to show up, right? If it, and there's only so long people are going to tolerate the delay. Now when that, you know, if they, if they start delivering these cars and in mass and everyone starts seeing them, it's going to be really good, right? They're going to deliver on that promise. If they don't, I expect to see like an earnings article like this written up where they kind of call, you know, Elon Musk is just sort of like, he's just all hype. And so, um, and I think that's what all these companies are trying to balance. So, and part of me is always like it's impressive that people go take these risks, right, and do it. Like it's something that does seem like interesting to do in your career. Um, the other side, though, is like when you're listening to them and it seems like it's kind of like it all becomes lies, right? Yeah, it, it makes you very cynical or your approach to that very cynical. Mm. So I don't know. I think it's just case by case, right? You just sort of yeah, – yeah. and I think look at Twitter maybe on the other end. I think people now understand Twitter isn't going to grow anymore but people also seem to have now adjusted their expectations They're like yeah it does what it does right a certain group of people like it it is what it is mm. they should just start paying dividends call it a day <laughs> well they'll be bought private I, I, this yeah. is my annual this is my semi-annual prediction they're going to be bought by so and that's going to be the end of that game mm. Mm. well uh you know i would only point you to, to one more thing which is uh i was i was trying to look up i was making a reference to uh combo locos which local Texans, or sadly, those who uh, are remote uh, will know about at HEB. You know, you buy, uh, you buy one pack of fajita meat and you get five things you didn't want for free. That's basically what a combo loco is. Hey, hot take. But uh, sometimes you get grated cheese and that's good. So maybe some tortillas. But anyways, uh, and I was looking up a reference for that and I saw that a uh, Texas teen, as he was described, had discovered how to create your own combo loco, which was to go in and uh, get a donut 
and eat it and not pay for it. So that's that's uh, that's what's fueling Snapchat. I think is that kind of uh, there's your audience right there. Texas teen, good good. Uh, I I also read that he later apologized, which which is is mature. So you can now make your own combo stilo if if uh, if you're into that. So. Uh, and that's you know you're not supposed to do that i remember once i was in uh the second year of my spanish class and where was he from he was from somewhere in south america he was a delightful guy uh who was you know a grad student of course and uh, he also told us he said i like that song mambo number five and uh he was that was very old at that point but i remember i was doing an oral test once and uh we were supposed to be like lawyers arguing a case which in retrospect is a strange situation to be doing and I remember I was making up words like, you know, justicio. And he, he had this wrinkled look on his face. And he said, what, what word was that? And I, was, and I said, oh, I was just, um, just kind of making up a word. And then, and then I always remember this. He said, don't make things up. And, and that's uh, so you don't need to make up stilo. That's, that's not good. That was a long yarn, as they say. Yes. <clears throat> good thing I edit this because I'm going to keep it in. But we don't have any uh, comic book commentary for you, so at least you're saved by that. So uh, we got some conferences coming up. A couple weeks, May 15th and 18th, I'll be in London at the uh, the Continuous Lifecycle London. Uh, you know, it's a registered conference. I think I'm going to give my Enterprise Architect talk. I should really check on that. And uh, then uh, on June 1st, I'll be uh, in Singapore at Vox Days. I don't remember what talk I'm giving there, but I'll look it up. That's far into the future. And uh, then, of course, if, if you uh, haven't heard yet, September 24th to 27th, that's way in the future. We've got this uh, here at Pivotal. We've got this thing called Spring One Platform, which is uh, nominally, if that's the right use of that word, in, in Washington, D.C. I've been told it's actually in Maryland, uh, so you can get good crabs uh, instead of well-dressed young people. But if you want to go there, which you totally should, uh, you can use this code S1P200 underscore Cote. Uh, you can get $200 off. And as I've been telling people, and this is totally not true, I think I will get a uh, really fancy pin if I get a lot of people to register. So help me get a pin is my plea to you. How, how about you, Matt? Where are you going to be? Uh, right now, the only thing on my calendar is ChefConf. Uh, well, actually, take that back. I'm going to be at Cloud Expo Hong Kong on May 16th and 17th. So if you're in Hong Kong, uh, I think, expo passes might be free so if you've come out to the 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 expo find me i'll give you a software defined talk sticker hong kong cloud Um, expo hey well also if i can well go go on to your next one and then i'll add my nonsense (laughs) i'm gonna be talking about uh you know the compliance code and stuff and some automate and then the next week i'm going to ChefConf. so hong kong chicago such is life where this year's theme is chef magic is that Yes, yes. Well, you know, we had some lively discussion about my uh, analysis of the BA Galleries lounges in Terminal 5 in Heathrow. And listen, listen, I think I am just overly nostalgic about that lounge because I've spent a lot of time in it. And and it just feels comforting. Like, you know, because usually when I'm going out, it's a very short layover. But when I'm going home, I'll have like a four or five hour layover. So I'm feeling very happy to be going home. And it's true. Like, it's not it's not a great lounge. I mean, compared to a... uh, uh, U.S. lounge, it's great uh, because they have stuff. Whereas in a U.S. lounge, you know, you're lucky if you get a, a you know a, a cube of cheese. Uh, so like, you know, it's better than that, but it's not fantastic. I get it. And equally, I think in a similar scale. Speaking of Hong Kong, there's uh, the Cafe lounges there. They're okay. Oh. They're they're they've got you know a more a higher variety of food. 
but oddly, they don't just have like a bunch of liquor laying around. I think you actually have to go to a bar to uh, get the liquor. But <laughs> I was in uh, I was in whatever cafe lounges wherever they have the flight that goes from uh, Hong Kong to L.A. And they had a they had a like a noodle bar section where they would make like six types of noodles and little buns for you that were delightful. So mm-hmm. it is that that's much better than the BA Gallery Lounge, let alone like an Admirals Club uh, that you might go to. Yeah. So so that was nice. Oh, and also I went to uh, because I was flying international with my my whatnots. I got to go to the. Uh, what do they call it? Like the business class admirals club lounge, the flagship lounge. And, uh, mm-hmm. that, that's, that lounge is okay. I cannot go to the first class dining experience as I found out, cause I'm not in first class, but you can go to the, uh, there's like three tiers of admirals club now, which, which yep, is great. Yep. So yeah, I mean, the BA lounge is not great. It's just sort of like the same way that my, you know, 15 year old Levi's are not technically great, but I, I like them. But they'll let you into the lounge in them. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Man, they'll let you into that lounge, like yeah. probably wearing like a speedo. And then extensive happy to see you. Extensive, yeah, extensive conversation on the subject in our Slack channel. Yeah, that's <laughs> why you should go to softwaredefinedtalk.com slash Slack and uh, go to find things there. So, uh, also we have some T-shirts you can buy, twenty percent off. You should go check them out. Go to softwaredefinedtalk.com, get a T-shirt. So uh, this week, Brandon, what do you have to recommend for us? Uh, I finished another audio book that I thought was interesting. It's called When Wolves Bite. It's all about kind of um, this battle that emerged between these billionaire hedge fund guys over um, Herbalife, which is a, just a publicly traded company. And uh, I like it because it's interesting. I always think of like, you know, we talk a lot about, you know, CEOs and businesses. So like who ultimately, you know, CEOs report to board of directors, but Ultimately, the board of directors, I guess maybe the most feared people in their lives are like activist investors. So mm-hmm. in this case, it's a story of um, essentially two billionaires taking opposite sides. One person thought Herbalife was going to like a, just a Ponzi scheme, pyramid scheme, and had shorted it. And the other believed that it was going to, you know, it was actually a solid company and continue to grow. So they take these uh, enormous stakes, like billions of dollars are spent, like either shorting it or actually um, buying, investing in the company. And uh, it gets rather personal, and they have like you know, I guess there's some fights on CNBC, and you know, and I, I like this kind of stuff. Or I guess it's interesting to me, kind of back to that snap discussion, because these guys really, you know, when you think of that, they have these enormous amounts of money, but they really just think of these these stocks as products, and they fights. spend a lot of time just creating narratives. Like, so one narrative was like this long hundred page PowerPoint of like why it's a, a, a pyramid scheme and then of course there's the other side about like why it's a great company and it's really it's it's a lot like just sales and marketing right it's just about who tells mm. a better story and then ultimately how does the company react so if you like that kind of stuff i mean it's you know it's obviously financial but it's um there's some big obviously no surprise when you have billionaire hedge fund people involved you have like pretty big personalities involved in it so uh, I enjoyed it so check it out when the wolves bite and I, I think I think uh, I think fighting with each, with each other on CNBC is like the finance bro equivalent of fighting on hacker news it's like definitely yes <laughs> I think that would be but everyone has is much better dressed oh but yes yes yeah. 100%. in full HD uh, well how, how about yourself Matt Ray uh, I, I think, uh, this week I have a pretty simple pick. Um, I found a website called Slack themes that allows you, if, if you're like me and you have, uh, one, two, three, 11 slacks, you kind of like to, to color them up a little bit. So Slack themes has, I don't know, a hundred different color themes. 
you know, it's simple. It, you just paste it in. You get some different look to it. Whatever. That's my pick. <laughs> yeah, it looks like there's Next week I'll talk ones. about my new phone. Right? Uh, oh, is, is that the, uh, the one that works well with your, your, uh, your calendars? Well, well, yeah, we'll have to talk about it next week. Mm, that sounds like fun. Well, aside from the uh, noodle bar at the uh, Cafe Wing Lounge in Hong Kong, which I highly recommend. Uh, you know, I actually was uh, about halfway through a bowl of Dan Dan noodles, and I went to go get uh, some water, and someone was so efficient they cleaned it up for me, which I was miffed at at first, but then that meant I could go get another bowl of noodles guilt-free. Uh, so that's that's nice. So uh, I finally saw that new version of the movie It, you know, the, the horror movie with the clowns and whatnot. And uh, I don't really remember the uh, uh, the Tim Curry one, but I feel like this was a solid movie. This is very well done. And and I was talking with uh, Kim, my wife, uh, for those who don't remember, about it over lunch. And, you know, one of the things that is evidence of, I mean, first of all, visually and pacing and everything, it's great. And, you know, it's got like jump scares in it. But I, I will remind the reader that it's a horror movie. Uh, so, like... One of the one of the things that's an example of it being a well made movie is it has like absolutely no you know bobbing in it. There's never any like there's maybe a minor part of exposition, but there's never any sort of like what's going on here side explanation. It's just like there's there's, there's a fucking clown that eats people living in the sewers, and that's pretty much all there is to it. Uh, there's like that that fat kid kind of explains how there's a bunch of kids that have historically died, but it's very minimal. It's not, you know, at some point they could be like, I read this fantasy, this, this, uh, this fairy tale from Ukraine about how this monster comes every 27 years. And I never thought it was real. Uh, but, but they didn't do that. And so consequently I started reading the book and I've never actually read a Stephen King book, but, um, you know, I mean, I, I realize it might be a little late. Uh, in in uh, the whole Stephen King thing, but you know, I would suggest an editor uh, that might be handy. <laughs> I, on 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 the other hand, I I've stayed up very late the last few nights, like reading the book. So it obviously is is like it, it's he's got something going. Yeah, I appreciate I appreciate books that are written in a way that you have no idea how compelling it is you know you know that it's compelling to read because you keep reading it and you can't figure out the mechanics of it right like like you keep arguing with the book of like like i'll give you an example to go on right like so there's this whole character that they talk about about how he married young and like everyone thought it was a bad idea and he's old and then they're going to flash back to when he was a kid not you know a little spoiler alert here but they go on he goes on and on about this character and then the old version of this character just kills himself and you're like well i i guess i don't give a fuck about the last 50 pages i read now <laughs> like it's just a weird like anyhow so it's a good movie you should check it out uh especially that scene but I, I, hey i want to go in with you on this i i feel this i'm glad you said something about stephen king because i have tried repeatedly to get through a couple uh of his books and i i just like i it's just I feel like it's way too much detail. Like I, and when you say editor, I'm like divide this thing by like by ten. Like for every ten pages, there's like one page that I think was uh, probably meaningful to the book. So I, yeah. I don't know why does everyone like this? Like what yeah, am I missing? Like, and, and I'm it's, sure, I'm sure, I'm sure you're like me. You're like, yes, I realize the absurdity of criticizing Stephen King at this point. <laughs> Obviously, I know, but it's more. No, I, I really want to boomerang around. It's like I really feel like I should criticize myself. Like yeah, I know exactly, he's very exactly. successful. And I also, I because of that, I want to enjoy his books. But I just oh, every yeah. time I start, it, it, like I've tried the stand multiple times. I've tried to get through it, and I'm just like, I don't know. It would be, like, it would be like, it would be like if you're like, I keep hearing that brisket is delicious, 
but I can just not get into it. And the only conclusion I have is that there is something wrong with me, right? Like it, it's, it's like, yeah. yeah. Anyways, maybe I'll, I'll probably read through the book and, and uh, figure out that it was actually worth reading 50 pages about this old dude who killed himself in a bathtub. Uh, maybe, maybe it connects back somehow. We'll, we'll see. Nice. So uh, as always, this has been software defined talk. You can get the full uh, show notes. I don't know what full is. You can get all the show notes for this episode at softwaredefinedtalk.com slash 133. You can figure out how to get a t-shirt at a 20% discount, get free stickers. Uh, they're, they're attractive little stickers. Uh, you can join our Slack channel. I don't really produce the newsletter anymore, but you should subscribe to it. That would be delightful. Uh, and, uh, you know, we've got a couple other podcasts that, that we uh, do. We've got Software Defined Interviews on a bit of a uh, lull at the moment. If you go to softwaredefinedinterviews.com, you should check that out. And also, you know, I do a mostly weekly podcast called uh, Cashed Out Coffee. It's actually just called Cashed Out, but the URL is cashedout.coffee with the money type, not the um, chip memory thing. Uh, that you should go to. And uh, my friend Robert Brooke and I strive to not talk about computer nerd stuff. I think we probably talk about nerd stuff, but not computer things. So you should check that podcast out. It has more rambling from me that would highly benefit from an editor. Uh, you can see me do my own Stephen King routine. Uh, so with that, we'll see you next time. Bye-bye. Bye. -bye. Bye.